The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify. I'll read a few uh, more of those very kind reviews, um, including many which also say they love it when Chris Cooley is on the show. Well, guess what, boys and girls? Surprise. Cooley's on the show with me today, live from Wyoming. Uh, he doesn't know much about what's gone on this week, or at least he didn't yesterday. Um, have you caught up? Are you now fully aware of the details involving the Carson Wentz trade or not? I think, I, I think I'm aware of m- many of the details involving the Carson Wentz trade. I actually thought it was a good idea. I think you dismissed it when I said yesterday. My segment should just be, you catch me up on the news. I know, but on the, I, especially I, the like the Washington football. Oh wait, Washington's news. Can't do it yet. Can't. Um, especially with, like with, with Washington's news. Yeah, I uh, yesterday when we talked, Cooley did not know about Russell Wilson being traded to Denver, uh, about Carson Wentz being traded to Washington. Um, I did know. I did know yesterday. I did know yesterday when we talked. You didn't know that Frank Reich had apologized to Colts ownership for vouching for him. I, and I called you to, to I called you to share that with you. You did. You did. You did share that with me. But you were pretty much unaware of everything that had been gone uh, been going on this week, and you suggested a great idea. No, no, yeah. A great idea would be a segment on your podcast each week where I come on and you, meaning me catch me meaning you up on all of the news of the day because you're really you not on, on your podcast yeah I, I don't have a podcast. i know on our uh, on, on my podcast, podcast yes and yeah. and i and i said i like that idea but i think this week because i think what people really want to hear is not you saying oh really <laughs> i had no idea uh, I had no idea Aaron no, no, Rodgers no, was I'm staying gonna, at Green Bay. I'm not going to say I had no idea. I'm going. I'm going to react to the news. I know, you're as g- if I first heard it, which is exactly what the case would be. Right. But you know, you get a true reaction. I'm. You're not. You're getting a a true reaction. I haven't read through. I haven't made decisions on things. You're getting my true feelings. I on know Carson Wentz at that point. But I think a lot of people what they prefer from you. This is just my opinion. 
yeah, is I got it. when I got you it. do the, okay, I went back and I watched all the tape from 21, watched the game against Jacksonville that you know he played horribly in when they were 15-point favorites and all they needed to do was win the game. Uh, I've looked at Malik Willis. I've looked at, you know, um, uh, Kenny Pickett. I, 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 I looked at the Trubisky stuff. I looked at the – and people like when you're prepared because one of the things, and I've shared this with everybody, of all of the former athletes that I've worked with, you were always the most prepared. Like you were ready to go. You had spent a lot of time preparing for our shows, especially the important ones. There were many days where you walked in and we were both winging it. But on the important days, you were prepared. So have you done anything to prepare for the answer to the following question, which is what did you think about Washington acquiring Carson Wentz? It is the best they could do. I actually loved Carson Wentz for a couple years in Philadelphia. I think he's a player. I think he's a stud. I think there were some moments when you watched the Colts last year where he had something to him. There's obviously something missing, and we this happened well before Indy. And I mean, this happened early in his Philly career. I think we had talked about this. Like he had a lot of problems with Philadelphia after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. And then Philadelphia put up the Nick Foles banner, like as they run out of their locker room or into the whatever, wherever it was, they put up a giant Nick Foles banner. Right. They brought Carson Wentz back. They're like, you're the guy. And I think some of the team really believed in Foles. I think some of the coaches potentially really believed in Foles. And I think that really was hard on Carson Wentz. I don't think he has great leadership ability, even though you said yesterday, it's not so much with the players, but I, he doesn't. His social skills are not great in a football environment, apparently, according to multiple reports and multiple things. And then you have Frank Reich, probably the person who knows it best in the NFL, apologized to the Colts for vouching for him. <laughs> and he's not coachable. And then where it's interesting is the Rivera regime wants Obey, obey, obey. They want those dudes to do what they want. Yeah. So I think it'll be a really interesting situation, and and the, and then you pay it all, which they can afford, right? You like you you let Indy off the hook on that. You pay it all, including whatever the five million dollar bonus and the twenty eight million dollar salary, and but that doesn't hurt them. They can afford it. Um, the trades don't really hurt you. I, I don't have a problem taking a risk. And then I think you just hope for. Maybe Scott Turner's his dude. Really? Maybe he hasn't. I don't. If it's not his dude in the quarterback's room and as an OC and potentially as a head coach, you got problems. He's caused problems two times in a row, two different places. I promise he'll do it again. But maybe they're saying, you know what? Scott Turner could be his dude. Ron Rivera might be his dude. We're going to be, we're all going to be buddies, pals. But I told you yesterday, I said, well, even if Ron can't coach you, I'm sure Dan will get along great with him. <laughs> oh, great. That's awesome. Dan's going to get so, along uh, great so with him. So here's, here's the, like, you don't think, think about you don't it. Think, don't, you don't think I, this I don't think thing think reeks of Dan, player. do you? No, I don't. I don't think it reeks of Dan. Okay. I, I really, I don't, I think that 
you took a shot at Russell Wilson, you probably either don't think you can get Deshaun Watson or no, Deshaun Watson isn't going to play this year. And I think they draft somebody. I, I still think you go out and draft somebody with the first pick or with the first first overall that you have. Right. Excuse me, your first-round pick. <laughs> I, I think you've got to still take a shot and draft on somebody because you, know, you really can't sit here and say, we know it's going to be Carson Wentz for the next five years or the next ten years. It's just impossible to say that after his previous history. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if they like somebody, they should draft that somebody because this is a one-year flyer on Jalen Hurts. You know, they can get out of it. There's no pain at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, to me, if there had been multi-years of guaranteed money on Carson Wentz's contract, I don't think that they would have traded for him. I think this is a one-year flyer. Um, I talked to somebody late yesterday that said they have to be competitive this year. The new name, the new brand, the lack of excitement, they have to have a competitive team, and they think that they're close. Now, I'm not saying that they use those words verbatim, but they implied that they think they're close because they were 6-6, six and six, they uh, had the tough, toughest schedule in the league, and then all of a sudden they got COVID uh, you know, rampant throughout the team, and they feel like COVID destroyed their, you know, their possible run through December and into the postseason, and all they need uh, needed was just an upgrade at quarterback. You know, they preferred a massive upgrade at quarterback with Russell Wilson, um, but you know they feel like Carson Wentz is an upgrade over Taylor Heineke, and that they're close and they have to be competitive this year. And if it doesn't work out like it hasn't with his last two places. Um, which you know is the massive red flag, as we've discussed. I talked to, to Cooley about this yesterday, but just repeating, you know, Philadelphia took the largest salary cap hit in the history of the league to run him out of Philly, Philadelphia. By the way, after trading all of those picks up in the draft in 2016 to draft him, the Colts, you know, sent a first and a third to Philadelphia, and then they ran him after a year before Philadelphia even used their first round pick. Um, so you know that's. To me, that trumps all out, all else in terms of the conversation. That you know, Doug Peterson and Frank Reich, after all that they had invested, said, "Nope, we don't even want him in the building after a year." See ya. And those those guys, by the way, are pretty accomplished offensive coaches and pretty respected coaches as well. But you, I wanted to read this quote which Ben Standing put in his athletic column today, which actually came from Ron Rivera's interview with me on the radio show. I just didn't remember it because it was so long ago. It was all of like a month and a half ago. But he put this quote in there talking about what they were going to be looking for in their next quarterback. Quote, the biggest thing for us is leadership. On the field, in the clubhouse, out in public, the guy has to set the example for the team. He's got to be the complete leader. Well, Ron just acquired somebody that does not fit that description, which is why I said yesterday and the day before, this move reeked of panic. You know, they they couldn't get Wilson. They realized a guy like Trubisky, who they liked, 
was probably not going to pick them in free agency. In fact, the Giants appear to be the front runner for Trubisky. Uh, Garoppolo was going to be what you know, whatever the Garoppolo situation is. He's hurt right now, and they had to make a move, and they picked a guy that doesn't doesn't fit any of that description, which Ron Rivera described to me about a month and a half ago on the guy that they were going to be looking for. So this is a one-year flyer that Scott Turner and Ron Rivera, and for whatever reason, their organization has a chance to turn them around, and even if they don't, that he provides better quarterback play on a team that's close. He's a better player than Trubisky. I would rather have Carson Wentz as a player than Garoppolo. I know that Garoppolo is a phenomenal dude. I like we both watched Trubisky, and I think he's soft. Yeah, so I'd rather have, I'd rather have a flyer on Wentz than Trubisky. I, I, there's nothing for me with Trubisky. I think he's done. Well, the, there's some interesting stuff with Garoppolo. Is there any other potential trades or moves you could make throughout the year? They probably exhausted those, and. So I'm not going – I wouldn't think it's a panicked move. Plus, they already knew they're, – they're in the business of, of knowing that Carson Wentz is going to be available at some point. So I don't think it's a panic move. I just think it's plan C. Yeah, it's definitely plan C or lower. I mean, I don't know, however you want to – Plan A was like, you know, one of the real big names. Rodgers, but, you know, Rodgers wasn't a possibility. Wilson, Watson. And Watson, they were probably going to have to wait too long, and they didn't want to wait and then be left at the altar. Wilson was the guy. They went heavy after him. They offered a bona fide big-time offer, and Seattle wanted to trade him to the AFC. Didn't want to trade him within the conference, and Wilson preferred Denver over any of the other options, which I think included not only Washington yeah. but Philadelphia uh, – uh, as well, um, but the um, in terms of some of the other options, well, let me ask you this. First of all, you do agree that Wentz, no matter how bad of a guy he is, he's an upgrade on the field over Taylor Heineke. No question. Okay, w- Sam Monson, the guy from he's P- like a bigger, stronger, faster Taylor Heineke. In some ways, when you watch him play. They both move around quite a bit. They both take some unnecessary risks. They both make some unbelievable off-script plays. They can make throws on schedule. Both have accuracy problems. They're, they're a, a lot alike. Like, what's is just the, the bigger, stronger, faster Heineke? With, and not a phenomenal dude. Because like everyone's like, Heineke's the best dude ever. Right. From, from everything I hear. Exactly. Um. Much better arm strength, like NFL starter arm strength. I mean, Wentz has legit yeah, talent. You faster, you loved you loved Wentz. Man, there was a couple years. I mean that that second year in Philly before he got hurt, he was so special, so special. And, I, and I'm not gonna blame Philly for putting up a banner of Nick Foles, but seriously. We're in the business now of like egos. Even though that's not going to make any your starting dude feel good, even if Foles is his friend, like that was crazy to do that. They should have put a poster up together or something. I don't know. 
But that's Philly. Like Philly's going to put a statue of Rocky Balboa. What so. do you What do you think? You know, so the reports are, you know, and I had a, I've had multiple people on. You know, I've had somebody on from Indy. I've had somebody on from Philly. We've all, as Washington, you know, followers, see how I didn't even say fans anymore, and I certainly didn't say commanders. Mm-hmm. As Washington followers, we've all read uh, the stories. And you know what? I don't even think we needed to read the stories. The fact that Indy moved on from him after a year, after investing a first and a third with no clear-cut alternative to him it's not like they had like a young quarterback that they're going to go to like Trey Lance in in San Francisco they've got Sam Ehlinger as the quarterback you know we've heard the you know Reuben Frank from from NBC Philadelphia said you know entitled difficult to coach um, narcissistic uh, you know not a bad guy but you know doesn't get along with everybody kind of clickish Certainly, you know, a leadership profile that was flawed. I mean, how does that work when that person is your quarterback in the building? I mean, you were there when Griffin was there. Griffin, though, wasn't as established. He was a rookie, um, but, you know, obviously entitled, narcissistic. You know, all the, all of those things applied to him as well. What's that like as a, as a teammate? Here's, here's what it's like. Win more games than you lose. Or win sixty plus percent, sixty five percent of your games, and they they're getting praised and hyped, and they're pretty good. Start losing games, not good. Problems. They were nine. What coaches call. We find our character when we lose. <laughs> Some of it's actually true. Right, and you find your real character in a quarterback when you lose. He plays poorly, and how does he handle it? With the media, how does he handle it with his team, and how does he handle it working with his coaches through practice the next week or the next couple weeks after that? Can you shrug it off and say, that's it, let's go work, let's get better? Or no. And that's, that, that's a big part of it. And he doesn't have that. So it, if Washington is close and they can go 11-6 and six or 12-5, and five, it'll be fine. He'll be fine. You go seven and nine, and he starts taking some blame. I'll bet there's some coaches unhappy with it. Yeah, seven and ten. Remember, seventeen game schedule. Seven That's... and ten. I got the first couple right. <laughs> um, like, so eleven and six. So Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus uh, was on with me yesterday, and I just was curious as to how they had evaluated him last year. They evaluated they evaluated thirty eight quarterbacks. He was. 22nd. He said that essentially the 27 uh, touchdown passes and seven interceptions were misleading. He uh, had um, a high number of turnover worthy plays uh, during a stretch in which he had like the fifth best QBR in the game during like a 12 game stretch. He also led the league in turnover worthy throws. So he kind of suggested that he got a little bit lucky. Um, last year um, to a certain degree. But he also brought up a quarterback name when we started comparing the alternatives. And it's a guy that I've always liked. And he he got injured last year, tore his ACL in the one year starting for Sean Payton. But Jameis Winston would have cost hardly anything. There would have been no market really for him for whatever reason. Um, And Sam suggested that Winston just has a much higher ceiling 
uh, even though you know he comes with lots of chaos as well in terms of all of the the turnovers, um, etc. Do you think Wentz is better than Jameis Winston as an alternative? No, I think Jameis Winston has great leadership, and from everything I've heard about Jameis Winston, coaches love him in the building. He works his butt off, and the funny thing about the turnovers is we're still talking about a young dude. You know, especially his last year in Tampa. Is his third year or fourth year? Uh, it was more than that, right? No. Fourth or fifth year. It wasn't more than his fourth okay. year in Tampa. Okay. Was it? It might have been. I don't it, know. It was, but in the in the longevity no. of quarterbacks. The the draft like the draft the draft was the fifteen draft, right? He was drafted in fifteen with Mariota, right? One two. So it would have been his it would have been fifth? his fifth fifth year in Tampa. The the what the year that he had thirty and thirty or whatever the numbers were. I think it was thirty touchdowns, thirty three interceptions, or maybe I have that flipped around and it was thirty three touchdowns and thirty interceptions. Something like that. Yeah, it was 33 touchdowns and 30 picks. And he really had to try hard to get those last couple picks in that last game, which was impressive. Oh. To have a 30 for 30 guy, 30 and 30 guy. But I think it helped. I think it was, I think it was really helped by going to New Orleans and being around Breeze and Peyton. And I, I, I'm not so afraid of the picks, Kev. I, I just, I think that. You can overcome throwing a lot of interceptions. My my belief, right. because I think you just try to limit risk. I, I think as a coach, as a coordinator, let's let's limit risk and let's talk him out of risk and let's talk through the process of what we want to do here. And I mean, it's like me and you playing golf, man. You're like you're like, okay, where can I not hit it? But then four holes in, we're like, screw it, we're out there to play. <laughs> yeah. Okay, in the water. Like, ah, oh, man, but if it had drawn, like if I could have had just one more yard of draw, I would have hit the bank and rolled up. And Yeah, I think I would have rather had Jameis than, than Wentz. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm with Ron's initial quote. Like, I want top-to-bottom leadership, a guy that I can consistently build around, a guy that I can work with, a guy that everyone loves in the building. I want a guy that gets in the huddle and everybody looks at and says, let's go score we're going to score on this drive, and everyone believes in it. That's who I want at quarterback. It's who I think I have to have at quarterback, and I think it's how every every young quarterback should be trained in a lot of ways is to be a leader. Um, and then in some ways, most quarterbacks are. They, they are in charge. Um, so, yes, uh, I think Wentz would be below Winston for me. I think the one interesting one, that I saw was, was Jordan Love. But he had such a terrible performance in the one game he played for Green Bay this year. At the time he played Green Bay, it was, it was awful. I forget what you thought of him coming out. I'm not – I was in no – I don't know what the Packers saw to move up and tr- trade for him or move up into the draft and get him. Yeah, He's a Utah State guy. I think I've met him. I, I played catch with him. Great dude. And, again, all those leadership intangibles, I think he has. I thought Jordan Love, and I watched closely his senior year, I thought in big games he, he pressed and I thought he played with a lot of anxiety. And I don't know if I can get that out of a dude. When he settled down and played, he could really play. But when he was pressed and thought he had to make plays, 
And that first round grade got put on. I, I panicked a little bit. And, I, and you don't like seeing that when the big big lights come on, they diminish in performance. I don't, I don't love that. And that's the same thing he did in Green Bay. He had big-time opportunity to be a NFL starting quarterback this, this upcoming season if he played well in, in a, a small sample size. He would have been. They would have had great trade value in him, or they would have moved on from Rodgers, one or the other, probably the trade value. But now you're looking at Love as, like, I mean, we can see what he is if we bring him in, but I don't I, know. You, you said something that's interesting. That you, it's hard to coach that kind of anxiety. There is kind of an innate ability. Like, you either go out there and you believe and you're calm and you're cool. I guess, you know, reps get you to that place that's much more than, much better than, like, anxiety-ridden. But, you know, that was one of the things I actually thought in watching Dwayne Haskins that was positive. When he was out there, it really didn't seem like he was anxious, you know, or overwhelmed or nervous. I'm not saying that that made him bad, but it was like natural to him to not be rattled necessarily. Again, it didn't lead to great results, but that's one of those things I think that is kind of innate especially when you're walking out there for kind of the first time. Um, I want to I just mention, go back to the drafting of a quarterback, because my position is this. If they really like somebody a lot that has a big-time upside, like maybe Malik Willis, which I think he has a big upside, and yes, people I've asked Cooley to watch Malik Willis tape and give us a breakdown of the quarterbacks before the draft. Um, and other players now, because some people don't want them to take a quarterback. If I if if there's somebody in that draft that they really like, I would absolutely still take the quarterback. But here's one of the stories that came out, you know, about Carson Wentz that the drafting of Jalen Hurts, oh, sent him, you know, over the edge. Like, how could you do that? Well, I mean, I guess they had concerns about him. Like, if Washington traded for Carson Wentz on kind of a flyer and they pass on a quarterback that they really like, let's just say Malik Willis is there at 11 and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera and, and Gribble and Stokes and uh, Polian and all of them, if, if they all decide, you know, if they all love Willis, they should draft Willis. The chances that Carson Wentz are, it, it turns out to be the long-term answer, are less than 50-50. So if this is a one-year we needed to upgrade, we needed to be competitive, well, then you're still in the, in the long-range thinking at quarterback. There's no way that they can be convinced that Wentz is like their next five- to seven-year answer. No way. No, I don't think there's any way, but there's also no way Malik Willis gets to eleven. And I don't see them getting up past potentially eight, where like someone like Atlanta. Is why? Why did you say that about Willis? Have you watched Willis? No, but I've looked at all the pre-draft stuff in terms of conversation. I started to do all the things I do, like height, weight, stuff, stats, all the things. Read some things about what people say about him before I watched it. But it's also the NFL, and he's probably going to go very early. And I'll bet you if they really thought, hey, this is the year we could draft a quarterback, they do, they think Kenny Pickett might go before 11. 
Yeah. I'm, quarterbacks, man. Quarterbacks. And I know most people have to pick it like around 15 to 20 or whatever in their mock drafts. He's a quarterback. It's, it's, a first-round quarterback climbs like nothing I've seen in the last 10 years. You know what his hand size was, right? Was it tiny? Eight and a half inch hand size. Small. It would be that he'd have the smallest hands of any starting quarterback or projected starting quarterback in the NFL. This has uh, been a. This he can't is, really spin it. W- w- so, so do you, do you? He can spin it though. So, do you think this is an overrated thing, or do you think it's a relevant thing? Hand size. Well, I think it's one of those things that. First of all, I think anything like that could be overcome. But on the analytic basis of it, how many? Small-handed quarterbacks have had great success. Very few. Well, Joe Burrow's got nine-inch hands. I mean, they were that, that was a concern for him when he came out, is that they were kind of small. Pickett's hands are a half-inch uh, smaller. Do you have big hands or not? Yeah, I'm not didn't, gonna... didn't we do that? Somebody asked me the other day. Somebody said... And now I don't even know who they were talking about. Somebody said they were talk, uh, some, They were listening to a show, and the guys were talking about hand size, and somebody made the comment, Sheehan and Cooley did this, or Sheehan had big hands. Um, did we do that for the show? Because I do have big hands. I, I don't know. I don't remember what they were measured at, but I can very easily palm a basketball. So I know that my hands are not small. I don't know if they would register on the, the scale of extra large. I, I put it this way. I wear a double XL golf glove. A regular XL is too tight on my hand. So I, my hands are probably bigger than average hands. So did we do that on, yeah, so on the I'm, show? I'm about the, I'm about the same. I, uh, if, there was a, if there is a triple XL, I'll get it. Because the double XL after four or five times, when that leather shrinks, then I rip it. Did we do that on the show? Did did we measure hands on a show once or not? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I don't remember doing that either. But this person said they were, uh, and I forget who it was. Maybe it was um, Chris Russell was talking about Cooley and I doing it on the show, and that I don't know. Anyway. I don't know either. I don't really recall that, but there's a lot of things. We had a lot of time together. So <laughs> it, it seems like it that. seems like one of the things you would have wanted to do. Yeah, no, I'm actually not interested in that though. Like as you say that right now, I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, I don't. I I was thinking because we got measured at the combine, but I don't even remember my size of my hand. You don't. Well, if you, no. if you if you buy triple X gloves, golf gloves, you've got, you know, bigger than average hands, obviously. Well, I, so here, but here's the other thing with my hands. What? I, I have, like, sausage fingers, and, like, my wrists are really big. So it's, it's, they might not have the, I have the girth, not the length in the hand. No, I don't know. I mean, my hand's not, I don't have a short hand. But my uh, my hand would weigh six ounces more than your hand. Yeah, no, I, I rem- you've got kind of chubby, fat fingers. Like they're like paws. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my son has like my son actually has paws. You look at his hands; he's like that. You just look weird with those weird hands on you. They're so big for a four-year-old. Ad, Adam Schefter. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think he could be overcome to, to, to the point. Yeah. Like and nobody thought uh, Drew Brees could be a great quarterback because he was short. 
And for the most part, I don't want a short quarterback. But Drew Brees could be my quarterback. Right. You know, and you go through that list of, of what people overcome and, and what they do better. I don't know. It just depends on the guy, I guess. Um, Hold on. I got the uh... – so do you want to know the um, the quarterback with the, the qu- quarterback with the biggest hands in the NFL? You want to take a guess of of like a bi- of starters? Uh, the dude for the Chargers, Herbert. He's got big hands, yeah. not the biggest. He's a quarter inch shorter than the guy with the biggest hands in the NFL. Oh, so I was I was pretty darn close. It's, I don't know it's, it's Russell Wilson. Ten and a quarter inch I hands. That. I actually did know that. That's funny. I did. I have heard that before. I wouldn't have remembered it. Then, then that's followed by. I mean, listen to the quarterbacks with big hands and consider where they rank in among the elite quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, ten and a quarter inch. Aaron Rodgers, ten and an eighth. Josh Allen, ten and an eighth. Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tungavailoa, and Carson Wentz all have 10-inch hands. Then Roethlisberger, this is from last year's starters, and Cousins, uh, their hand size 9 and 7 eighths. And then it's Hertz, Jones, Mac Jones. And then at the bottom of the list, smallest hands last year of anybody that started a game, Taysom Hill, 8 and 3 quarters. Burrow, Tannehill, and Goff, all with 9-inch hands. Um, Burrow would, uh, on the list of like, the back half of the league starting quarterback by hand size, Burrow and Mahomes, nine inch and nine and a quarter inch hands. The rest of the quarterbacks aren't that good. You know, Mayfield, Bridgewater, Heineke, Darnold, Fields, Carr's got small hands. Taysom Hill has, has the smallest, but if Kenny Pickett starts a game in the NFL next year, he'll have the smallest hands in the league. Um, thrilling conversation so listen (laughs) i want to read this tweet to you adam schefter last night at 8 38 p.m the 49ers have given quarterback nate sudfeld a one-year fully guaranteed two million dollar deal with upside to get it to three million dollars per source there were two other teams interested in sudfeld with in the words of one source quote all believing he has starter potential in the league Closed quote. The guy that Philadelphia put into the game to tank the game against Washington at the end of the 2020 season uh, has starter potential in the league. Did you ever see that with Nate Sudfeld? Because Kyle Shanahan believes that Nate Sudfeld's good enough and there was competition and he signed a $2 million base salary deal with upside to $3 million, and people believe that Nate Sudfeld could be a starter in the league. I like Nate Sudfeld a lot, and I didn't think that Philly tanked the game by putting Sudfeld in. There's a lot of ways you can tank a game with anybody in. But starter, no. I didn't see that per se, knowing him. I think, I think he'd play. But at the same time, two to three million is really—it's not—it's nothing money for a backup quarterback. Yeah, I know. And I think every team is going to say, especially if they're trading Jimmy Garoppolo, just to ease any anxiety of fans. Like, yeah, we think he could start. We think he might be a guy. 
And we really <laughs> see something in it. And then if they had to play him, they said, we thought we acquired a starter when we got him. They don't say, hey, look, this is a backup or this is a we'll see what he can do. Because then when you throw him in the game because you didn't get anyone else or that you didn't like Trey Lance for some reason, you're like, yeah, um, <laughs> this is all we had left. It just, I, I think that's right. I think that's what you do. I, don't, I would love to see Nate Sudfeld be a starter. I think he was a great dude. I just didn't see it as a I – don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. Doesn't mean he hasn't learned a lot where he's been and, and evolved over the last few years because I haven't seen him in a while. But uh, I have starter, this... it would be like fall into Houston when they're on four starting quarterbacks in four years kind of starter, in my opinion. But again, there's not enough NFL film to really evaluate exactly what he would be. There's not that longevity with that club. I still have this weird feeling, and maybe the Nate Sudfeld – uh, acquisition, which you know is a backup quarterback, and they already have Trey Lance there, p- probably contradicts this this gut feel. But I've just had this gut feeling that the 49ers aren't going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, you know, I don't know why they would. Like, if they're not going to get back a, a big haul for Garoppolo, and by the way, he's injured Cooley. He had shoulder surgery. He's not going to be able to throw until you know, like late June. Um, I, yeah. I just. Like I, I know Kyle likes him. I know, I know Mike likes him. You know, they they love him personally. You know, they understand he's not an elite quarterback and that he's got some flaws. But they've gone to a Super Bowl and they were within a hair of going to a second one because they're really good at coaching players and they've got a really good run game and they had an excellent defense. And Garoppolo actually came up really big in a few games. But I just have this weird feel, feeling, and I've had this feeling, and maybe I should change it. Now that they've you know assigned a backup quarterback and it's not Trey Lance, that would be the backup to Lance, that they're not going to trade him. But I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm wrong on that. I, I don't, I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, Mike said it. Whatever five years ago, like Kirk Cousins can take you to a Super Bowl. That's how. That's in some ways how they view a quarterback. Yeah, that's right. That's true. But I need a guy that can help. That can take me there. I don't need a guy that can win in it all I mean you want to win the Super Bowl I don't need a guy that can win every game for me. I need a guy that can help take my team there part of the team I, I, I wanted to circle back to something just about the leadership thing again because you played with some quarterbacks who were kind of born leaders like Mark Brunel and then you played with guys like Jason Campbell who weren't really they weren't extroverts they weren't you know vocal leaders necessarily and I'm just curious but, as yeah, like Jason Campbell got along with everybody. Everyone liked Jason. Understood, understood. But who were the leaders on the team when Jason Campbell was the quarterback? Clinton. Uh, shoot. That was that, that was that weird year where we started acquiring Archuleta and, yeah. and Brandon Lloyd. And, I, and, I, and just, just so you know, I really liked – I really still liked those guys that I played with. So I'm not saying – but that was that weird year where we started acquiring a lot of – veteran players that got paid a lot of money and you're like who is like what is this team right it was, it was a little bit i think it was a little bit weird i'm trying to think of who chris samuels was was chris that. samuels a leader chris samuels was chris samuels his was is has always been incredibly respected is not an outward leader london fletcher would have been considered a leader of that team what about philip daniels great dude i loved him in the locker room 
had some leadership ability, was not necessarily the team leader. It would have been London if it would have been anybody. What about Sean Springs? Again, no. Okay. Um, amazing player, amazing dude. I think to really lead a team, you got practice most days, and Sean was famous for being like, yeah, I'll be out there on Friday, and I will play. And that was some of what Clinton did, too. And yeah. Sean was fine with that. But Sean was a guy that I talked to. All Again, we had a group of a ton of guys. And in my opinion, a lot of times, you just need that voice when you're in the huddle. Like it's, it's some of this leadership stuff is so faux, and you know I believe that. I like I had a lot of really good friends on that team, and I would have played hard with all those dudes and did. But the, the leadership ability comes out on the field when you need it. So... Not, like, that's the thing Brunel had. Like, I didn't need someone to give me a pep talk, and I didn't need someone to tell me I needed to practice harder. Oh, here's a good leader on that team. One of the, the people I looked up to the very most, James Thrash. James Thrash practiced harder than any person I've ever watched, and I modeled my practice after James Thrash. Yeah. Interesting. We're, but, and I know we've talked about that before. Yeah. By the way, what about you? Do, did people look to you no. for leadership? Uh, no. Yeah. So not, not vocal. No. So so the 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 what so what was the difference when you had a quarterback in the huddle like Brunel who was clearly a take charge guy versus a guy that was just well liked that may not have been as much with Jason Campbell. Confidence in the execution of the offense entirely. And the other thing that I like so, so, and leadership comes in weird ways, and I'm trying to think of who exactly said this to me. But I, th- I think it was my rookie year. He said, we, we need you to make a play. Like, you're, you're a guy that has to make a play for us today. And I, I think it was like game three, my rookie year. I was blown away. And then my, and, I did, and it's like, okay, well, I, I, they need it. I'll do it. And when your teammates kind of ask that, and that's in-game stuff. And Clinton did it multiple times and Santana did it multiple times like hey we got to have you make a play we got it that kind of stuff is is not necessarily hype leadership it's it's asking your teammates and friends to make a play for them or to make a play for the team that to me was the best kind of leadership I wish I'd had more of it I wasn't I, I was always introverted as a kid I tried in college to do some to kind of my senior year to kind of be a leader of the team I'm awful at that awful at guys around my age inspiring leadership what's funny is i've coached football and i'm helping with some like i i feel phenomenal around young kids because i can ask them i can tell them what i need out of them and i can help motivate them and i can help them in different ways feels much different in that situation but i'm also almost 40 now and i've been around it a lot longer than when i was 26 or 25 and just playing hard it's a big difference. What was Rex? Uh, some people have it and some people don't. What was Rex like in the in the huddle? Rex was actually awesome in the huddle. Rex is the epitome of confidence. Um, but Rex was never fully back. Like the other thing is like, and this goes back to Wentz. The other thing is you have to the, the team's got to fully back the quarterback if he's the leader. Like Rex could have been the leader, and I think probably in Chicago it was Erlacher. And Rex was a dude, and Rex is always a guy that everyone likes. Like, everyone on the team, pretty much everyone hangs out with Rex, plays cards with Rex, talks, and he has confidence. But Rex was never backed, and you never knew it was going to be Rex the next week. Right. 
So that, that's there's that guy has to be believed in by the organization if you want him to lead your organization. They have to prove that too. And they, the, and and for Carson, in fairness, Philly didn't do that for him. What was Robert like in the huddle? I honestly was almost never in the huddle with Robert. So I don't particularly recall exactly what Robert was in the huddle. What about in practice? Sorry, I played like four plays a game. What about in practice? Again, I don't have a – I think he was always really confident. But then I will say the next couple years watching him at practice, or he was a different dude. He, he was a completely different dude and lost confidence by year three. Yeah. So that he doesn't he by year three he just doesn't have his own innate confidence, which he did in year one. But as far as what he said, what he did, I, I wasn't there in there enough to have that. I just don't remember what he. Okay, I know you have to. I know you've got to go. So um, let's uh, let's get you started on some, you know, quarterback and other. I think they're going to be looking at these two inside linebackers, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. Perhaps at eleven overall, there's some receivers in the draft. Um, free agency, you know, starts next week. So if you, you know, in the midst of a fishing trip, you know, just decide that you want to start watching some tape on your phone, have at it, and then you can join us and tell us what you think. Okay, it's going to be pretty warm next week here, so we'll see. It's going to snow here tomorrow. Uh, all right, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Up next, we will talk some college hoops, talk Maryland-Michigan State. The Terps nearly pulled off a miraculous comeback last night in the Big Ten tournament. It fell short. Their season is over. Jeff Ehrman uh, will join me to discuss who the next coach at Maryland will be. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A chance to tie or take the lead. Shot clock off. Fats Russell. Step back three for the lead. No. Christie with a rebound and he's fouled. Yeah, last night Maryland was down 20 and nearly pulled off a miraculous comeback. Uh, it fell short. I didn't hate the shot, uh, the step back three from Fats Russell, uh, but they had a chance to win it there, which was just incredible if you were watching uh, the game last night. Maryland's season ends, first losing season 
for the Terps since the 92-93 season, which was uh, the first season following uh, probation. I'm here to talk about last night's game, this year's season, but more importantly for most of you, what's next is Jeff Ehrman. Jeff, of course, uh, the owner publisher and primary contributor to Inside Maryland Sports. Uh, you can find that maryland.247sports.com. Follow Jeff on Twitter like I do, at Jeff underscore Ehrman. So, uh, obviously, we we are now into the what's next mode. But I'm not going to lie to you, and I've talked about this on the podcast and the radio show, I actually really came to enjoy watching this team over the last, say, month and a half. And I really wish, and I think a lot of Maryland fans that kind of kept up with the team, Jeff, think the same way. Maybe not. It's just a shame that Fats Russell couldn't have played for one of their better teams. Because I loved watching him. Yeah, that's a really good point. He would have been fun on a team where there was more pieces around him and you know an established winning culture, not a season that was lost like a month into the season, especially the version of we that we saw of him the past month. I mean, not that he wasn't solid earlier this season, but if he he'd been at that level all year, uh, maybe you know maybe things go a little a little bit differently. But he was he was the guy down the stretch. He was probably their best player if you put the whole season together. I don't I don't think you could really argue against that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, in hindsight, actually, before we get to this, the game last night, I just want to mention this for the people that watched it. Um, they really struggled uh, with with their front court. Uh, it, it got dominated. Uh, Wahab was not very good. Reese was not very good. There have been moments for both of those players, and I actually, you know, have – I'm optimistic for Reese. I think he's got a lot of skill. He's just got to get much stronger physically. They went small. Yeah. They pressured – and it, it it was amazing what, what really happened. Forget the 20-point lead. It was still like a 10-point lead with just a few minutes left. And they turned Michigan State over. And I thought there was a key sequence in the game, Jeff, and I'm curious as to whether or not you agree with me. They uh, Fat score got fouled, and they cut it to two at 70-68 to 68 with about a you know, minute five, minute six left. And Danny Manning pulled the press off for that one possession. Yeah. And I thought they had Michigan State totally rattled. Uh, I thought there was a chance they could have won the game right there on the on another turnover. And look, a lot of coaches will do that when it gets you know a big comeback gets to one possession, they'll drop. They'll say, okay, we just need one stop now. They don't want to foul. They don't want to give up an easy bucket. But I thought he should have kept the press on in that moment. And I think maybe the result would have turned out differently. Yeah, I think you and everyone on Twitter were screaming about that one. I can't knock him too much because, like you said, I think. Probably more than half of coaches in that situation say to themselves, "All right, the press has gotten us back to where we want to be. You know, let's play this straight up. Yeah. You know, not take any chances for this final minute. Um, you know, kind of like football coaches are almost always going to go prevent defense in a spot like that. You know, just because they're just conservative by nature, they don't want to, you know, be over aggressive. But you do have to question because because Michigan State was an absolute mess for those final however many minutes it was. I mean, they couldn't." get a handle on the ball they're throwing the ball away on inbounds passes so it would be interesting if you could redo it and see if he'd kept the press on and even if they'd press more during the season at least the way it looked last night obviously that's a really small sample size and realistically they probably don't have the depth 
to press a lot. That's but, right. Yeah. Uh, they made it interesting, at least. You know, they took again to, to to erase two twenty-point deficits against the same team in the same week. Obviously, it's a little uh, it's a little damning about your effort to start the games, which has remained, which has been a problem now for years. But also shows that this team never stopped fighting, despite the fact that it's been apparent that it was a lost season for months now. Yeah, I um. They, you know, they fell behind by six, and then they got, you know, with the pressure, got him back into it, and they actually had the possession that we played coming in. The possession, um, yeah. did, did you do you agree with me? I didn't hate the possession. I didn't hate the shot there. I, he's he's made that shot a ton over the last month and a half. No, you gotta you gotta ride with the one who that got you there. He's the one. He you know he was the guy again last night, and it was a good look. You know, it's a shot that he makes probably half the time, and. You know, he's got that quick step back and freed himself and got a pretty good look. There's no one else you can say should have gotten that shot. I mean, uh, Dante Scott had an okay night. Eric Ayala was struggling all night. He was 5 of 17 overall. So I think that's a good shot. The shot before by Fats where the wild drive to the basket yep. where he kind of tried to flip it up and it just got nothing but backboard. That That's the one that you would like to have back, I think. Yeah, they missed a couple of key free throws down the stretch too. Uh, Eric missed one. Fats missed one. Uh, Michigan State State was insanely hot in the first half. I think p- the problem, um, and and let's kind of move the conversation to the season, which yeah, in many ways, once uh, we got past that Virginia Tech game and and Turgeon was gone, it felt very much like an interim season, a lost season. You know, it's funny. I I, I say that, and I didn't miss a game. I kept watching. Um, I thought that there were some pieces there. I didn't think they were as bad as everybody thought they were. In fact, I think, you know, uh, had uh, had it stayed together, I, I think they would have been better defensively, and, and maybe they would have been a bubble team somewhere. I mean, there were there were games in there this year. You know, the first Michigan State game at home, the Wisconsin game at home, the Purdue game on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, you turn two of those three results around, and they probably would have gone into last night's game on the bubble. I mean, they. I didn't think that they were – I thought that they they they, they I that they were good enough to end up with a better record, but but a lot of that was circumstance and the changes and just the turmoil. I'm sure. Yeah, they were clearly been you know good talented enough to end up with a better record. Not nearly as talented as we thought. You know, obviously some of these guys simply were not quite you know did not perform to the level. You know, you look at a Caduce Wahab. CBS Sports had him rated as the number four transfer in the country last year. I mean, right. that is that is lofty territory when you think about how many thousands of players are in the transfer portal. And you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily live up to that. The bench guys didn't necessarily provide what you thought. So you're playing the whole year without a bench and with a team that just isn't good at three point shooting. So that's hard to overcome, uh, no matter what. But you know, it's either way. I think clearly it was an, it was not the number one twenty one team coming into the country or coming into the season. Number one twenty number twenty one team in the country, and and you know once Turgeon gave up on the season, you know it's it, it would have been hard to fault these guys for quitting. You know, and then they didn't quit. Danny Manning did a nice job, and I think another thing that you look at this season is kind of speaks to the uh, quality of the Maryland job is that you know you can have your worst season in thirty years. And you're still only a few wins away from making the tournament. So that shows you that you can, you know, if that's the worst season that you, you've had in decades, then it's, I think it's inherently a pretty conducive job to winning. All right. 
So let's talk about that. Um, what are you hearing about who the next coach will be? You know, Kevin, there's a lot of different things swirling around right now, nothing uh, concrete. You know, we've continued the names I've heard all along were, uh, as I've mentioned to you before, Kevin Willard and Andy Enfield before he got this recent extension, which takes him off the board. Ed Cooley, who I don't think is going to end up being the guy, I think he'll take a nice big extension at Providence with the season that he's having. Uh, Mike Bray, you know, during the past couple of months, I've, I've heard his name more consistently, and there's a lot of rumors flying around right now surrounding Mike Bray, so he's another one to watch. And then, you know, I keep thinking that there's probably a mystery candidate or two that just hasn't leaked out. They've kept it fairly quiet throughout, and I just have a hard time believing that those aforementioned uh, coaches are the only ones on the list. So, you know, something should happen before long, though. I know that they want to make a hire, you know, by – Mid to late March is what I was told, you know, a few weeks ago with mid-March probably on the optimistic side just because whoever you're, you know, whoever you're hiring might still be coaching. So let's talk about Mike Bray um, because I've heard some of the same things here recently. Uh, and you and I both know that 10 years ago Mike Bray was, you know, on the list and I think would have taken the gig. Um, and, you know, there were yeah. a lot of people in the program that pushed back on it. You know, at the time, Mike Bray had had successful seasons at Notre Dame, but he had never, he had only once been out of the first weekend uh, of the NCAA tournament. And really up until, you know, those two Elite Eight runs in 15 and 16, he's pretty much been a first weekend and out tournament coach. But, um, you know, they've had good yeah. teams and they've got a good team this year. They're going back to the tournament this year. Um, and it's Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame basketball isn't what, you know, maybe it used to be, you know, back in the day with Digger or anything. If anything like that. Um, and I think Maryland, you know, has bigger upside than Notre Dame in basketball. Uh, but um, it just feels to me, and I don't mean this disrespectfully towards Mike, because he's a great guy and he's a really solid coach. It just feels to me, but more importantly, I think it, it will feel to the fan base that this was a 10-year-ago hire, not a 2022 hire. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think you could be more accurate. It is. It feels like it's it's a hire you make ten years ago, and you know if you do if you had hired him ten years ago, there's a decent chance that you've done you've been more successful during the past ten years. Uh, but now he's 62. He's tailed off a little bit. Obviously, he's had a good season, kind of rebound this year, finishing second in the ACC. But the pre three previous years, he didn't make the NCAA tournament after that really strong run where he had. You know the back-to-back elite eights um, and things like that. You know he he's been solid. He's got a winning record in the ACC at Notre Dame. I think around 50, uh, 56 percent. He's like sixty-five percent over. So his numbers are good, but there's no there's not really an excitement factor. He's older. There's nothing splashy about it. And it, it again, it just feels like the hire you you could have made ten years ago, but not now. So you know, I again nothing against Bray, who like you said, I think is a good coach. Especially offensively, he's kind yes. of that. That would be a uh, an interesting aspect of it. Is he'd kind of be the reverse Turgeon with uh, really good offense, but not as good defense. Kind of the opposite of what we what we've seen. But I think the fan backlash would be pretty strong if they hired Mike Bray. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I have a feeling that whatever it is, there might be a lot of fan backlash. And this is what uh, you know um, the the. The concern was all along, and, and you know this, is that a lot of people in the fan base, 
we all kind of agree, okay? I think there there was a bit of a divide, but yet I think we all agree on on a lot of the basics. Like uh, Turgeon was a good coach, but he didn't get it done in March, and so therefore it got yeah. stale. And so let's try something new. You know, 2020 may have changed all that, but it you know we never had a chance for 2020 um, because yep. of COVID. Um, so it is what it is. Um, and then I also think everybody believes it's a top 10 to 15 job, but a lot of people don't understand. No practice facility. The compensation hasn't been great relative to a top 10 to 15 job. Um, you know, they haven't had guys to step up in the past to, to, to look at buyouts and big numbers. Um, and you've got an AD right now that, um, you know, I, I, what are you hearing in terms of this search? Is this a Damon search? Is this a Damon and Daryl Pines search? You know, how much are they relying on Gary? Um, what are you hearing about how the search is going? I think it's largely a Damon and search committee or, excuse me, search, search firm. firm. Uh, Parker, yeah, Parker Executive Search, the firm from Georgia that he hired. It's largely their process, uh, with Damon kind of providing the, or excuse me, Daryl Pines providing the final stamp. You know, I don't think he's going to sign off on anyone with much baggage from what I've been told, hence no interest in guys like Rick Patino. Uh, and Gary has not really been involved at all from what I'm told. He, he would love, I think, to be more involved. He's said that publicly that he wants to help, and he's expressed kind of his desperation to see the program become elite before, you know, while he can still watch it. So uh, I think he's been excluded. I had a, uh, a report yesterday about that. He gave me a quote basically saying, uh, Daryl Pines and Damon Evans will make the hire, and I know nothing about it, you know, so kind of uh, saying it without saying it because he's never one, usually not one to air dirty laundry, but I think the quote was telling, so... You know, that for whatever reason, they've decided not to really involve him in the process. Uh, which is really um, unfortunate from my point of view. Um, because, yeah. Uh, yeah. So on Patino, um, it sounds to me like you think what I think, which is it wasn't, you know, it was as much, if not more, about Maryland never doing it than Patino not accepting it. Oh, absolutely. I think if Maryland really wanted him, there's a decent chance he would have taken the job. I don't think he comes out and makes that comment publicly about how it's a great job, but he won't be the guy to, to coach at Maryland and let, if he thinks that there's any chance that they're interested in him. So I think it was just a rumor started by who knows, maybe some boosters who wanted to see, wanted to put some pressure on them to consider him. I, I don't know. I mean, it obviously came from a radio show, but, um, yeah, that was that was on Maryland's side. They just don't want to hire anybody with the with that kind of baggage, and even somebody with half the baggage Patino has. I don't think they would hire. Do you agree with that? Uh, with proceeding that way? Well, it's easy for me to say no because it's not my job. You know, that's going to be gone suddenly if he does something wrong and there's a scandal, and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking for employment, but. You know, without that included in the equation, I would take a shot on him, to be quite honest. He's probably got a good five years left. He's, you know, the, one of the best coaches of all time. He's one of only two who've been in the Final Four at three different schools. He would immediately bring excitement to the program, and uh, I'm sure he would be able to turn the roster over really quickly. So 
if it were me, I would I would have given it a shot. But again, it's not my head that would be on the chopping block if something happened. Uh, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Um, uh, the season tickets yeah. would be sold out within a couple of weeks. Uh, he'd use the transfer portal to to make this a top twenty five team next year, and within three years, you'd be competing for Final Fours and National Championships. To me, it's brass tacks time. The, the, the program is stale. I think one of the, the big mistakes, Jeff, that you know, um, thing, you know, uh, programs like Maryland can make, especially in a big market, is that that, that, ta- that, that pent-up interest and demand will just always be there. And it always has been throughout our lifetime, you know, through the probation yeah. years, you know, and, and Maryland basketball is a big deal. Some of you that listen to the podcast don't understand why I talk a lot about it. Well, there are a lot of people that are super passionate. I'd put the fan base up there with any fan base in town in terms of the true passion. Um, and that, that program's won a national championship. It's in the heart of the best high school basketball in the country. And it needs a, a real shot in the arm right now. It really does. Um, and if they hire some mid-major program guy that's on the rise and they don't get it right, uh, it could it could really set this program back to a point that I don't think any of us would have ever anticipated it, it getting to. People's attention spans just aren't that long. There's too much competition. There's too much you know to do. And you've got to win. And with the with NIL and with the transfer portal and with 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 guys like Will Wade still you know coaching, uh, I, I'm I'm pissed that they won't go after somebody like Patino because I agree with you. I think if they were aggressive and going after Patino, that he would come take the job, and there would be an immediate injection of enthusiasm at a level we haven't seen yep. since Gary left or, or since say you know the the year we went into it you ranked number two in the country with Diamond Stone. 2020 was exciting too, don't get me wrong. I mean, they were selling out the building at the end of the year and there was a lot of juice for it. But I, I'm I'm pissed that they won't that they won't yeah. go down that road. Yeah, I think some of it also is like the Big Ten is such a different environment than like the SEC. Most of these coaches people have mentioned, you know, Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl and these other guys it's a whole different culture down there. You can do a lot of things that you can get away with a lot that the big 10 takes itself more seriously. It's like this snooty academic conference and they've earned that. They do have a lot of really good academic institutions, but it's kind of like the, you know, they're the ones wearing the tweed jacket with the little patches on the elbows, smoking their pipe and the, <laughs> the SEC is just, it's, it's just win baby, you know? And, and so like you, so, you know, we're at a school somewhere in the SEC, like Georgia or somewhere. I could see them going after Patino without thinking twice, whereas Maryland is probably thinking it's kind of like, what are the neighbors going to think if we do it? You know, that kind of thing in terms of the other Big Ten schools. So Jamon Howard just also- took a swipe at one of the other coaches after a game. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, and I think you make a really yeah. good point there. I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten are totally different. The Big 12 and the Big Ten are totally different. I get it. I, I understand that part of it. But yeah. Maryland's the one team in this league that is in a big market with a shitload of competition that most of these other places don't face. Yeah, and they sometimes you just got to go big, and that never seems – well, I wouldn't say never. They did go big with the football – uh, facility, you know, the new football facility. We'll see how things play out there. So they did, but basketball is obviously where more of the interest is. You got people who are starved for 
deep postseason runs and better recruiting and things like that. And even if you hire a mid-major guy who does turn out to be the right guy, it's going to take a few years for, to get the excitement going because no one's going to know who he is. And, you know, you're already at that point where the fans are so apathetic. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard some version of, you know, I've had season tickets, I've watched every game for 30 years, and today I forgot there was even a game on. Yep. I read that on my site so many times this year, you wouldn't believe it. So, you know, you do have to say, but I don't think, honestly, from what I've been told, I don't think that they're factoring fan opinion in all that heavily. I think they're just more focused on who they think is the right hire. Yeah, it's concerning because it's kind of like, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that the move to the Big Ten ultimately wasn't the right move, but the people that made the decision to move to the Big Ten weren't Maryland people, you know, Wallace Lowe, Kevin Anderson, and it's like they're, they're just there's this sense that I have that there's not an understanding of the urgency of the situation and how big uh, of an upside there is by making the right hire. I mean, Damon Evans, he's on the spot here. This is the biggest decision he'll make as athletic director at any place he's ever been. Yeah, and the thing you said about Maryland people not being involved is another is another whole <clears throat> excuse me a whole can of worms. There's a lot of people who could, who feel like you know the people in the athletic department have traditionally in recent years not been Maryland people or not had any previous ties to the school until they were employed there, and that they uh, tend to kind of keep Maryland people out of it for whatever reason and. Gary Williams' current, you know, Gary Williams' lack of involvement in this search being an example of that, or they felt like, you know, Mark Turgeon kind of went out of his way not to involve former Maryland, you know, Maryland alums or to welcome them in, you know, whether that environment is, uh, you know, a matter of people being threatened by feeling, feeling threatened by having, you know, Maryland people in there, I'm not sure, but uh, that's something that people continue to complain about, just the lack of you know, true Maryland people being involved in these processes. All right. Um, exit question for Jeff Ehrman, McLaughlin group style here. Who's the coach? <laughs> hmm. You know, I wrote last week that if I had to install a betting favorite, it would be Kevin Willard. I would still, you know, I would probably, honestly, right now, I'd put Willard and Bray maybe at ties at the top of the list, but you know, I still have. There's some rumors that that Willard could have already or could soon sign an extension at Seton Hall. I still have a hard time seeing the Bray hire for all the reasons you and I just discussed. But you know, right now there's not really another guy whose name has a lot of juice behind it. So I'd say, you know, conservatively those guys would be the top two. But I'm still just keep waiting for another name to pop up. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. I'm with you. I think there is, you know, maybe one, you know, big surprise name out there. Um, and we'll just see whether or not, you know, it develops here over the next month. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's I, I think either one of those two hires, no offense to either one of them. Um, it's not what a lot of people thought they would get if they ran Turgeon or if Turgeon were fired or Turgeon departed or whatever. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not going to be Musselman or Oates, you know. Uh, it's not going to be Pearl yeah. or Patino. Um, and uh, there are lots of reasons for that. And if Willard is the next guy to kind of leverage this opening into a contract extension, uh, it'll be amazing. But 
that's kind of also what's been happening with a lot of the big time jobs over the last five years. I think I think Naki hit me with this stat: like thirty three out of the last thirty eight Power Five conference basketball hires have been from non Power Five schools. And the examples, wow. the the other examples are things that were kind of obvious, like um, you know Buzz Williams going back to his alma mater, or Chris Beard going to Texas, you know from from Texas yep. Tech. Um, so you know we, it, it's it's ended up working out that way. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, when Enfield when Enfield resigned with uh, with US, when he got his extension from USC, I got a text from a friend that just said, "Coaches don't leave good situations," and it's true. I think. With the volatility of the job, if someone has a comfortable situation where they feel like they're in no danger of being fired anytime soon and they have raises and contract extensions, even if the next job seems like a better one, it's become nearly impossible to pull them away. I think Ed Cooley will be an example of that. Uh, he's from Providence. I think yep. I think I've heard that his wife is or you know she's from that general area. Um, he's got a great setup there. They love him there. He's the only game in town. They, you know, they've got a smaller arena, but they fill it up a lot. And, you know, he's, he's going to be rewarded here after this season. If he, if, if he wants to stay, I think he's a hell of a coach. I've always been such a Cooley fan. Um, but you know, there's an example. I mean, Maryland, you know, on paper is a better job than Providence, but, uh, he's really comfortable, and he's got a great situation there. And, you know, there's some risk exactly. in coming to Maryland when you've got a really good situation uh, because there will, exactly. there, there, there will be pressure. All right, um, thanks for doing this. Hope you're well. Again, Jeff Ehrman, everybody, uh, the number one Maryland uh, sports site uh, inside Maryland sports, maryland.247sports.com to find it, or just follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Ehrman, and you'll get all of his stuff. Uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you having me. Up next, what Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, and all of the Washington Commanders team brass really think about this upcoming season? Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. March is here and the madness has officially begun. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with MyBookie. Predict winners in each round of the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance to win a Bitcoin, a Doodle NFT currently valued at over $50,000, and over 100000 more in cash prizes. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props, MyBookie has you covered. Sign up today with MyBookie. Use my promo code, Kevin DC, to make your first deposit, earning a free entry into the My Bracket Contest. Selections for the bracket will officially begin on March 13th and close March 17th at noon. They unveil the bracket Sunday night, and we'll be here on Monday to talk about that bracket. So make sure you get your deposit in now using my promo code KevinDC to secure that free entry. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Just a reminder too, if there's something already written in the promo code when you go to sign up at my bookie, erase it and write Kevin DC. I want to thank everybody uh, that continues, uh, all of you that continue to rate and review the show. Um, it's great. You guys have kept us 
uh, you know, the combination of all of the listeners and the ratings and reviews have kept us very highly ranked uh, as a local uh, sports podcast on the Apple charts uh, in particular, um, and that's much appreciated. Uh, It's still, just as uh, a reminder, it's still true that about 88% of you that listen on a regular basis haven't rated or reviewed the show yet. So if you guys get around to it, that would be awesome as well. We've got a lot of reviews and ratings compared to a lot of podcasts, especially podcasts similar to ours that are more kind of local content driven, even though we talk about everything. Uh, But um, I love uh, the reviews and the ratings that have come in. This is from SAE Football via Apple Podcasts. Uh, the review titled Kip Rules, five stars, by the way. Look, he's an MD alum as a JHU undergrad, JHU, Johns Hopkins, uh, and Duke grad alum. His team is unworthy. Still, the pod is the best pod for local teams about whom I care. Thank you, SAE football. Um, this from Sonny, uh, love the podcast, especially love it when Tom is on. I really have no connection to DC sports, but love the banter back and forth. I've become a dedicated listener. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, just great reviews. Uh, I could sit here and read them for a while and I'll read a couple with, uh, each, uh, show. Um, let me, there was one that I had singled out it was something about Kirk Cousins. Um, oh, here it is. King of D.C. Uh, oh, that's the title. King of D.C. Thank you very much. Uh, from Mr. Tony's Chessy. Kevin is the king of D.C. sports. Really enjoy his cousin's satire. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, thanks. Keep them coming. It's really, really uh, good for us. Um, it allows us to do this uh, as much as we do it. So, uh, a final few thoughts for the show today. What a week. I mean, what a week. Uh, I did not anticipate the quarterback uh, you know, situation being resolved, almost resolved, maybe totally resolved, this week. Uh, I still think they should draft a quarterback. If they like a quarterback, I'm not suggesting that they draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback. If they like a quarterback and they love the upside of a quarterback – I still think they should draft a quarterback, even if it's at number 11. I mean, if it's a trade up, if they really like him, I would not be against that. This is the most important position. They have to keep swinging. There's no chance that they actually think uh, that uh, Carson Wentz is a slam dunk to be their quarterback for the next five-plus years. They don't think that. Um, I'm going to get to what I think they believe right now um, because I talked to somebody last night, and there's some information that I'll share with you here momentarily. But there was so much feedback all week long, and I do think that most of you uh, didn't love the trade. You know, the polling um, on our radio show off of my uh, Twitter account, basically only 15 to 16% of the people, and it's like 3,500 to 4,000 votes somewhere in that uh, area, Um, I haven't looked at it recently, but it was roughly 16% of the people said they liked the trade. Most either didn't like it or were kind of mixed on the trade. I, you know, some of you were highly critical of how critical I was about the trade. 
I want to make sure that my position is clear and that it is etched in stone here, you know, during the same week in which it happened. Because many of you seem to take creative license down the road and tell me what I said years ago uh, and get it all wrong. Kirk Cousins is always a great example of that as I do some Kirk Cousins satire. Um, that I thought Kirk Cousins was a Super Bowl-winning quarterback and an elite quarterback, and how could we let him go? I advocated for them to trade him when it was clear that he wasn't coming back. Uh, No, my position on Kirk Cousins was always very early on, even before he got the opportunity, there's a top half of the league starting quarterback there, Uh, and you, we haven't had one in forever. And they should sign him, and they should sign him now. And he should be the starter, and they should then build around him if they can get him signed early and be aggressive and have the vision that this guy is a top half of the league starter, which he has been. Hell, he's been more than that. You know, he's been somewhere between 8 and 14, depending on the moment in time. Somebody out there will say, he's never been as high as 8. Yeah, he probably was at the end of the 2019 season and after winning a playoff game uh, in New Orleans. Um, But with respect to the Carson Wentz trade, my position is this. I don't like it because two teams said no, and they said no in a very costly environment. Philadelphia traded up in the 2016 draft to, to pick Carson Wentz, And then after a a, a near MVP season in his second season in 2017, said goodbye to him via a trade where they absorbed the largest salary cap hit in the history of the league. The team they traded uh, him to, the Indianapolis Colts, gave up a first and third round pick, a first and a third. And he was reunited with the guy that loved him more than anybody else, Frank Reich. And they booted him out of the building and said not the nicest things about him on the way out after one season. That's why I don't like this deal. There were times where I really thought Carson Wentz was a really good quarterback and was going to be the answer for the Eagles for many years to come. And we were going to have to deal with him twice a year, year in and year out. And what a bitch that was going to be. But. You know, I would rather rely on the opinions of people that actually do this for a living and are coaching him and playing with him uh, in the NFL. And the last two teams with Doug Peterson, an offensive head coach, and Frank Reich, an offensive head coach, they said no, and they weren't nice about saying no either. This guy's flawed from a personality profile standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. He comes in here with a lot of baggage, a shitload of baggage. That's why I don't like the deal. I also mentioned I don't love it because, to be honest with you, in watching him here here recently, he hasn't been very good. And that may be a product of him, you know, not being in the right fit, you know, his personality profile, rubbing coaches the wrong way, game plans getting dumbed down to a certain degree, as, as Sam Monson uh, kind of told us yesterday. Uh, on the podcast, Uh, but maybe this is the place it'll work. I wouldn't bet on it. This place has never been the place that it's worked. And, you know, the coach, after talking about leadership being the top quality or one of the top qualities, went with a guy that hasn't exhibited any of it. So it feels like a little bit of desperation and a little bit of a reach. 
I also thought that they overpaid. Now, they didn't overpay if they got their guy. Um, but eating 28 million bucks and not having the Colts, you know, take on half of that, I thought seemed a little pricey given that they were probably going to release him. But some of the reporting from Diana Russini as an example suggested that there were other teams interested or at least one other team interested. But um, my position is I don't like the deal because he comes in here with not just baggage but massive, massive, out loud warnings about what the next team is getting based on the results and the experience that the two teams previously had with him. Again, if you want to just say, hey, if he's a bad guy, you can get rid of him, but he is an upgrade on the field. They'll be better offensively, even if people are bitching about him behind his back, even if he's not taking coaching, they'll be better with him on the field. Okay. But I'm about, as I have said before this offseason began, swinging big and keep swinging big until you land on a guy that you, you know, have a chance to have as your quarterback for the next, you know, five to ten years. So that what Ron Rivera's talked about, sustained winner, can happen. And I don't see that happening with Carson Wentz. I do think that the play on the field could be better. And I think there can there there will be some Mondays we come in here and say he was really good yesterday. They won a game, you know, against a good team and he played really well. But I don't see this as, you know, a 12-win, division-winning, contending team with Carson Wentz. Best case, I see it as an improved team offensively. They still obviously have to reach their potential defensively, and then maybe they win another game or two, and they're in contention for a wild-card spot. Something like that. Last thought I had. um, Not thought. Last uh, part of the show um, I just wanted to kind of share with you some some information that I got from somebody that is in the know. This is not a report, by the way. I'm not tweeting it out. I talked about it on the radio show this morning. I had an interesting conversation with somebody um, yesterday who said this is essentially what the thinking is out in Ashburn. They did swing big. You know, they really run it. Wanted you know a Rogers or a Wilson. Um, obviously it came down to Wilson because Rodgers really wasn't going to be available, certainly not to them. They really did think they had a chance at Wilson, um, and they thought Wilson would come to Washington if Seattle ended up taking the deal. There's been reporting uh, to, to the contrary, and I do believe that there were teams that Russell Wilson and certainly his wife would preferred to Washington, but what I told you about what I learned from the uh, Pro Bowl weekend is true. Russell Wilson told people uh, at the Pro Bowl that he would not be opposed to a deal to Washington. Again, didn't mean that Washington was the, the front runner. Uh, didn't even mean Washington would be in his top five. Um, but I think he had a sense at the Pro Bowl that Washington was going to make a big run at him, and he was doing a lot of due diligence stuff at the Pro Bowl with Washington-related people to find out what it was like and what the coaching staff was like and what the football situation was like. Um, So they think they are close. It's not the exact word that was used, um, but it was implied that they think last season was a season derailed by injuries and COVID. 
that without great quarterback play and without a dynamic offense and with a defense that underperformed, they were still 6-6 six and six when they faced that five-game season-ending stretch against all of those division teams, the division round robin, as uh, Ron Rivera put it. Uh, and it was derailed by COVID. And to be fair to them, they had to start Garrett Gilbert in that game against Philadelphia on a Tuesday night. Then they had to come back five nights later and play the Cowboys on the night after Christmas uh, in a game in which they were depleted, even though they had gotten some guys back, but they got destroyed. Um, and they felt like they had a chance to make a decent run. Remember, let's not forget, they did lose, and they kind of got blown out even though the final score wasn't indicative of this. Um, the Cowboys really were in total control of that first of the division round robin games coming off that win over the Raiders. I mean, they were down 24 nothing. Remember heading into uh the third quarter, down 27 to 8 with like 6 minutes to go in the game before that near miraculous, you know, comeback by Washington. They lost that game 27-20. And then, you know, COVID struck and you had the Philadelphia game get rescheduled, then they had to play it on a Tuesday. And in their defense, yeah, they really did um, you know, get uh, they, they didn't have much of a chance in those games. Would they have won those games on the road at Philly and at Dallas had they been perfectly healthy? I have no idea. They wouldn't have been favored to win those games. Uh, but um, would they have performed better? I mean, hell, they actually had a chance against the Eagles. Uh, they got destroyed by the Cowboys, and then they had a chance against the Eagles at home. Um, but I didn't think that this was a playoff team last year. You know, they, they finished the season 7-10. and 10. If they were healthy and they didn't lose all those players to COVID, uh, would they have gone 9-8 and eight and had a chance? Maybe. I, I'm not discounting it completely. Just like with the Alex Smith season, I don't think they would have been a playoff team. I think they would have been 8-8, eight and eight, but it's possible that they could have been a 9-7 and seven team and eked out a wild card spot. Uh, but... They believe that that's what happened this season. And they knew during the season that they were going to have to upgrade at quarterback. They knew that. Um, and they knew Ryan Fitzpatrick was seriously injured and wasn't coming back. And I, I don't know what his status is, by the way, for next year. But the point is, is that there are two things at work here. One, they really do believe that they can be a competitive team and a playoff team in 2022 with, you know, improved defensive play, improved health, and a better quarterback situation. So they wanted to get a much better quarterback situation, but they weren't going to, and remember Ron Rivera told Ben Standig this a couple of weeks ago, veteran, veteran won't preclude us from drafting a rookie will be probably how it flushes out. Like he kind of, I think, knew then that Rodgers and Wilson were long shots, but they were very much, you know, believers that, uh, they were in that Wilson thing until Seattle said that the preference was an AFC team. But they, um, you know, I don't know if Carson Wentz was was veteran, you know, uh, choice number one after failing on the big swing. Uh, you know, I think Trubisky may have been. Um, but they felt like they needed an upgraded situation at quarterback and that they could win 10 games next year. And that therein lies the second part to this. They feel like they have to field a competitive team next year. They have a new name. They've lost almost all of their fans. They have a season ticket base that is embarrassing relative to most NFL season ticket bases. 
The new brand thing, the new name thing, I've told you guys this for years. If they ever change their name, they better win right away. When you change uh, something big, a name, a taste, whatever it is, with a retail product, um, that change better be successful day one. Or you have chased away a lot of those people that were emotionally tied to it, and they're not coming back unless there is a great product. So they understand that this is a huge year on the field. They've got to field a competitive team. They've got to field a team that's got interest during the course of the year, that has a chance to be a playoff team. And so Carson Wentz is an upgrade. It may not have been plan A. It may not have been plan B. But it was overall part of a plan that gives them in their mind's eye a chance to field a competitive playoff contending team, which is crucial to the business. It doesn't mean that they believe and that they're totally sold on Carson Wentz being the long-term answer. But they couldn't go into a, into the draft and pick somebody and expect that person, even if they loved him and the guy was ready to play, we know that rookie quarterbacks typically don't win in their rookie season. And so they needed to win this year, which is why they were always going to go out and get somebody to upgrade the position. Even if it wasn't the best long-term plan, they, ha- they were thinking 2022. They have to field a competitive team. They've got to, they've almost, they almost have to go to the playoffs. And they think Carson Wentz, again, not number one on the list, they think Carson Wentz gives them a much better chance than Taylor Heineke or drafting a rookie and playing that rookie right away. It kind of reeks a little bit of 2017, you know, when Bruce Allen said we're close. You know, they had 24 players on injured reserve. And the 2017 team, uh, it reeks of 2018, excuse me, going into 2018. The 2017 team had so many lost games to key players the offensive line was obviously a mess and it was probably a better team on paper if it had stayed healthy than the 2016 team which went eight seven and one and lost the final game of the year to the Giants um, to miss the playoffs Uh, uh, and then you know when they lost Cousins the reason they went out and got Alex Smith is they felt they were close and they felt like they had to be competitive that following year or they were going to lose a lot more in the way of fans because already it was starting to dwindle, the season ticket base. So there are some analogies there, similarities there, to the 2018 offseason, four offseasons ago. The trade for Alex Smith that they thought gave them a chance to be competitive in the short term. They gave him a big contract extension. That's not what they're going to do with Carson Wentz. I know some of you have reached out, hey, they can lower his cap number so they have more, you know, uh, they've got more maneuverability uh, in free agency here. I don't think they're doing that. No way are they giving him more guaranteed years to get a lower number in 2022. I think this is a one-year flyer, but I think they believe that it makes them better offensively and gives them a better chance of being competitive next year than Heineke or a rookie would have in the upcoming season. That's it for today. Uh, Back on Monday, we'll have the brackets, the NCAA tournament brackets. No locals. Uh, Virginia Tech's still alive in the ACC. Um, That's not a local to me, but I know many of you are Hokies that listen to the show. And um, 
They look good last night. They've looked good two games in a row. I think they've earned their way in. I know they're still kind of on the bubble, according to Lunardi, uh, but uh, they, uh, they've got a chance to, to play a couple more games at the ACC tournament. So we'll be back on Monday, talk about brackets, and then Tommy will be with, with me on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Tomorrow's going to be a wild weather day uh, for most of us. Uh, snow, wind, probably the last gasp of winter, I'm sure. Enjoy the weekend.